in today's show, it's time for a 2023 NBA draft mock draft. My second mock draft of this cycle, I guess. Yeah, that's what we'll call it. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball, on TikTok at RedRock underscore B-Ball and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free. We are available on all platforms. So recording this one before game one of the NBA Finals. So we'll see how that ends up going. Some other news that has dropped, which we will cover in coming shows for sure. Uh, Nick Nurse hired by the Sixers. Monty Williams hired by the Pistons. Huge, huge deal for Detroit to get him. Huge deal for Monty to get that much money. Might have been an overpay, but hey, at least they're making the moves that they need to make. And then some news from Adam Silver today about a possible, probable, no, not probably, a Jamarant suspension. But we don't know what it is. So I've had a lot of people tweeting at me, hey man, this is going to make Tyus Jones this huge value. What do we do with drafting Jar? At this point, I don't know. Because I don't know what the suspension is. Now, Jar is not a great category league player anyway. So you wouldn't ever risk a top 50 pick on a bloke that's probably not top 50 per game anyway. We're close to it. But we just need to find out. Is he a 10-game suspension? Is he suspended 50 games? Is he suspended a season? Is he suspended four games? I don't know. So I'll wait and see when we get that information about Morant. And then also, what happens with the Grizzlies? Are they comfortable with Tyus Jones being the starter for half a season, a full season? Do they draft a point guard? Do they trade for someone? Do they sign someone? Who knows what they do? So I'm not going to make crazy, or not even crazy, I'm not even make pronouncements about what the jar potential, what the jar suspension that we don't know the, the length of, what it does for anything, because we don't know. I honestly have no idea. I could speculate a million things, but there is so much to go down over the next six weeks um, that we'll talk about that when that time is right. What we are going to do now is a mock draft. I did one to kick off my NBA draft coverage. Uh, what was it kicking off? Yeah, it was after the NBA draft lottery. We did our first first round mock draft. And I'm doing first round again. I'm not diving into the second round of the mock draft yet. This is, again, for clarity, what I would do. I am I have no intel on... Well, that's not true. I have some intel. But I don't have enough intel for me to be telling you what I think or what I think... I'm not trying to predict what the teams are going to do. Because I don't have that information, I'd be copying information off a bunch of other people, and then it would just end up being the same as everybody else. So when you look at a mock draft from um, Jonathan Gavoni over at ESPN, even Sam Vecini at The Athletic, they have a bunch of sources telling them what teams are going to do, right? So their mock drafts tend to be more catered towards predicting what's going to happen in the first round. I'm not going to blow smoke up your ass and tell you that I know what a team is going to do. Because I don't. But what I do know is how I value a player and how I would value a player if they're on that team. And I am going to be wrong. Much like a team is going to be wrong. And every NBA draft analyst is going to be wrong. But I'll try and explain why I've got certain players where I have them, what where we're sitting with that, and some changes that I made to this mock draft um, compared to mock draft 1.0. There are three players who have dropped out of my first round. That would mean three players have jumped in, obviously. So, warning. Let's get it on, Gilly. 
Pick one, no change. Victor Wembanyama. Do I need to waste any time on Wembanyama? No. I am going to do a show probably next week with somebody, I hope, talking about Dynasty rookie values again and comparing and contrasting. Victor is the number one Dynasty rookie. I took him number three in a startup Dynasty mock draft with Matt Lawson and a bunch of other Dynasty people um, last week. I took him three overall behind Jokic and Doncic. That's how highly I value Wembenyama from a fantasy perspective. So what I'm doing here again, I probably should have mentioned this a little bit earlier. This is my perspective from a real-life draft perspective. We're going to talk fantasy draft value of dynasty rookies, which comes more into focus straight after the NBA draft as well. But I'll give you another another show. Now, I've already done my initial draft tiers two, three weeks ago, and they have been updated quite a bit. So we are going to do an update on those coming next week. But for now, this is real-life prospects. But Wembenyama is the number one player. For the real NBA, he's the number one player for fantasy. He's a top 10 at very worst dynasty asset. I think top five at worst, to be honest, but I can understand if you don't want to go there. Um, But that's how good he is. I don't think we need to spend too much time talking about him. Pick number two. I'm not changing on this one. It's it's Scoot to me at number number two. Yes, he's short. He's six foot two. I don't care that much. Care a little bit. Not that much. He's six foot nine wingspan, which is huge. Um, the shooting is a little bit of a concern. But again, when you look at his numbers, you'll say, well, he shot 28% from three. It's not really true. He did shoot 28% from three in the G League regular season, but they had another bunch of games in this G League Cup tournament and his numbers were much better. So he had a 32% overall three-point percentage. 55% true shooting. Remember also that he was doing all of this playing in the G League and the G League is a higher level of competition than college basketball. So... Because, again, the way to look at that is that the guys in the G League are players that play in the NBA or trying to get in the NBA or the cream of the crop of the college players. It's the ones who don't get drafted. It's sort of on the level below. They're playing in the G League. It's not playing against, you know, yeah, it's always the, the slur, slur that you use. You're playing against accountants and plumbers. You're not doing that in the G League. So it is a longer line. All that stuff is true. And Scoot was still really good. I think I, I t- the shooting is the concern for sure. But to me, it's just an absolute no-brainer that he's the number two pick. I do not care that LaMelo Ball is on this team. I don't care. I think, A, they can work together. B, Scoot's a better prospect than LaMelo. If they work together, great. If they don't and Scoot is better, you move on from LaMelo. Or LaMelo might say, I don't want to be in Charlotte anyway. I just think you, with a team like that, you have to take the best play. Well, Brandon Miller fits better will be the comment that many people make. And it might be the comment that Mitch Kupchak makes. I think he's wrong. If I had them in the same tier, which I don't, but if I had them in the same tier, I would take probably Brandon Miller over Scoot Henderson, but I don't think they're remotely close in terms of tier of prospects. So that's why I'm taking Scoot. And as you'll see, as we go through this, there'll be players that I might think are marginally better, but if I've got them around the same area, then fit does become more important. But when you're bad and there are big gaps in my perceived value of a prospect, then I'm not worried about um, fit. I'm not worried about um, how that makes sense on the current roster. I'm just going to take the better player. And I think at this point, and I don't know, but I think the best player left after Victor is Scoot. Then we get into shit show territory. And by shit show, I mean, these are not bad players. They're really good players. There's another six players here who could very easily go at number three. And at number three in mock draft number one, I had a men Thompson. At mock draft number two, at number three, I have a men Thompson. And I do not feel good about it at all. Amen Thompson, I just have marginally ahead in terms of tiers of the next bunch of guys. I've got him as a tier three player, Wemby tier one, Scoot tier two, Amen tier three. But I'm getting closer to him being like a tier 3.5 and merging with the bunch of guys who are in tier four. So 
So at this point, I've got him there. Again, does he fit particularly well with Simons and Sharp and Lillard? Probably not. Probably not. But I also do not expect this team to look the way that it currently looks, or even this pick to remain in Portland as we move forward. I don't expect that to be the case. And I think that whatever team it goes to, it probably isn't a worse fit amongst these guys than it is with Lillard, Simons, and Sharp in terms of how it all fits together. Although maybe a man can play more as a maybe a three or Sharp plays as a three. I, I don't know. But I don't look at all that stuff because this team is not going to look like this. And whoever gets pick three, I think a man is the best option. The passing is sublime. The vision is great. The feel is awesome. The athleticism is unbelievable. The defense is strong. It's just the jumper. And I am really worried that it never comes around. He does take some jumpers unlike a Ben Simmons, who never takes them, which is a problem. He takes some, but they don't go in, and they never have. But I think that you can't teach feel, vision, and defense the way that you can teach shooting. You might not ever get there with shooting, but you can teach it to improve. Those other things, you can't teach athleticism really either. And they're all there for a man. So I am sticking with him at three, and I, 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 don't, I don't feel good about it. I don't feel super confident. And by the time I do mock draft three, I'm not sure he's going to be there. And we'll get into who's four next. And that also brings around why I'm having a minute three. We'll get there in a sec. Today's episode is brought to you by Fangio. Make a fast break to Fangio during the NBA finals right now. And new customers get a no sweat first bet. It's $2,500. Used to be $1,000. It's $2,500 now. So why wouldn't you want to go over to Fangio and get that $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win? Bet on the NBA Finals. Um, game one is in the books by the time you listen to this. Game two will be in Denver as well. So I think Denver will be favorites. I think Denver should be favorites for the NBA Finals in general. You can bet on that. You can bet on series, individual games, player awards, uh, finals MVP, draft pick player props are available over at Fangio as well. There's no better place to bet all playoffs than America's number one sportsbook. Great promotions every day as well. Get paid out when you win instantly. Visit fanjuel.com slash locked on and get a no sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's fanjuel.com slash locked on. Fanjuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. And don't forget to gamble responsibly. So it's pick four. It's Houston with pick four. Part of the reason why I am sticking with a men at number three is that I'm not convinced that Brandon Miller is number four uh, that is good enough for that. I think he's a really solid enough prospect. I worry about the shooting was really good. And I think it's going to be good, even though there were issues playing against good teams, the tournament bad against good teams and top 50 teams. Not great either. I worry about getting to the rim. Worry about finishing. I worry about overall high usage team engine upside. He might end up being Chris Middleton. Right, that's mine. I know people say Paul George, maybe. To me, it's Chris Middleton is the better comp for what he can turn out to be. A little bit taller, Chris Middleton, for sure. And that's really handy in getting that shot off. But as a number one guy, and with the level of elite prospects at the top of this draft, like Scoot and Victor, like no way I would ever consider Miller over Scoot. I just, I can't get there with having him that high. And while I have concerns about Amen Thompson, pretty clearly, I don't think Miller has a lack of concerns that enables me, him to put Put him ahead. Now, I think there are plenty of players who could end up the third best player in this class. It could be Cam Whitmore. It could be Jarris Walker, honestly. It could be Asar Thompson. It could be Taylor Hendricks. I don't know. But I, 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 I think that there's not enough guaranteedness with Miller to throw him ahead of a men. Again, fit, I'm not that worried about. I think because so much, Ross has changed so much. In three years' time, the fit that you're worried about at draft time doesn't exist. 
in that in 2026. It doesn't exist that fit problem or fit concern or fit whatever. It doesn't exist. If a player's good enough, it works. That's generally how it is. Now you wouldn't want to spend pick number one on a center two years in a row. That's probably not smart because that is a fit problem. And we'll talk about another team where fit becomes a little bit more interesting later on. But for Portland I, or for Houston, sorry, look, that's fine. Like Miller f- does fit actually perfectly here at pick four for Houston, playing alongside Jabari, playing alongside Jalen Green, um, James Harden, I don't know, uh, Alperen Shingun. I think it fits pretty well. And it, it makes sense for them in this spot. But I'm not absolutely, man, this is a can't miss, absolute star, multi-time All-NBA type of player. Really good, good shooter, solid piece. Could develop into the number two player behind Jalen Green. Perfect for them, right? I think that works a lot a lot for Houston in this spot. Last time I did this mock draft at pick five, I did have Taylor Hendricks. Now I've got Cam Whitmore, Cam Whitmore and I'm not, I'm not convinced of that either. They just hired Monty Williams. Great, great move for them to get Monty Williams in there. Whitmore, I worry a lot about passing and vision and how does that translate you into the number one guy. But on this Detroit team, they obviously need forwards. And that's part of why I like Hendricks there because shooting, defensive power forward is perfect for this team. Perfect. But I'm also just edging a little bit higher because I think there's a little bit more star upside in Whitmore. Yes, the passing might not ever be there, but Ivy and Kate are there doing their thing. And Whitmore's ability to score, to slash, to get to the rim, I think works okay. And again, fit is not my number one priority, but when I've got a bunch of guys in the same tier, Walker, Whitmore, Hendricks, Asar, I'm going to go with a guy with a little bit more, I think, star upside, even though the chance of hitting it's probably not there, but working under Monty, working with those other guys, I think it makes sense. I'm not convinced on it. I'm absolutely not convinced on Whitmore here at five, and I'll probably flip-flop and end up, I think I might end up back with Hendricks. I don't know. But the way I'm currently sitting, I'm just banking on a little bit of offensive firepower from Cam, who can fit next to those other players at pick five for the Detroit Pistons. At pick six, well, it's the Orlando Magic. In fact, it's your Orlando Magic. And I'm taking Taylor Hendricks here. Now, I know, I know that this team has Paulo Banquero. It has Franz Wagner who should be set as their three and four of the future. And I look at Hendricks and say, well, he's probably a four. And I'll go, well, I don't know how this is going to work. But what I do think can happen with Taylor Hendricks, I think that he can be obviously quite a good defender, but I think he can play the five as well. And while Wendell Carter is really good, I think that Hendricks' ability to play next to Paolo and not necessarily need to be a high usage player um, the shooting is real and they need shooting. So they're a team that has got their number one in Paolo. So in terms of fit, I get that concern that they might similarly play the same position. But I think with the way that both Paolo and Taylor and Franz all play together, and even Wendell, there is plenty of room to get them all together on the court to get enough minutes. And if someone pops, then you can move other players. I'm not. I'm not looking at like you know, I considered. You know, take Asar Thompson here. Um, I think you know, I wouldn't be reaching because they need shooting to grab a shooter at this spot. But maybe you know a shooter in like a traditional shooter, a Grady Dick, a Jordan Hawkins. I wouldn't absolutely wouldn't do that. But Hendricks is a shooter, and having shooting at the five, at the four, Paolo at the five, Franz at the two, whatever. There's a lot of flexibility with these players that while I hated this initially when I was doing it, I've sort of flip-flopped a lot. I did end up going back to Taylor Hendricks just because I think that that shooting gives him the edge on this team. 
You might say that Jarris Walker or Asar Thompson fits better here. I'm not at that spot with it. But I am at pick seven with Jarris Walker. And I feel, feel really confident if both Jarris and Hendricks are available at six and seven, they're going at six and seven because the Pacers need a forward. Absolutely, 100%. So they will take someone there. And Jarris, I think, fits awesome next to Miles Turner if Miles Turner sticks. But he also can fit really well next to Halliburton. I think he can fit with Matherin. Apparently, there's a lot more to um, Jarris Walker's game than what we saw at Houston. Passing, initiation, that's great. The shooting, I'm, I'm a little concerned that it's never going to be so much of a threat. That's why I went Hendricks over Walker for Orlando. But there are people who will take Jarris at pick three, pick four in this draft. It's a really solid spot for Indiana. I think they're going to get a player that makes complete sense for their team. At pick number eight, again, my draft philosophy sits this way. People go, the Wizards need a point guard. Sure, they do. That's great. They need one tomorrow. I'm not taking a player who I think is a worse prospect to give them a point guard. I don't know what the hell the Wizards are doing. New GM, is Bradley Beal around? He's 30 years old. Is Kuzma or Porzingis coming back? I don't know. You cannot, I believe, as the Wizards take a prospect who you think is worse because they need a point guard tomorrow. I don't think that's a, a, a smart move to make. And I've got a very clear top eight players. So I'm going to take the eighth guy. And that's Asar Thompson, who many people talk to... Uh, I'm going to talk... Well, I've already recorded this, but he's coming out in a couple of days. Talk with Albert Gim of No Ceilings. And he has Asar ahead of him. And, and a few people do. That uh, Asar's shooting might actually work for him. And his size, his athleticism, his vision. His athleticism and vision probably a little bit less than the men, but... His defense is great. His shooting is great. And I just think there is such a clear definition for me between Asar and the guys who come after him that I'm told take him. And he can fit with with the players that are currently there. But also, depending on what direction they go, there's, you know, there's room for Asar to work on many teams. And I just think you don't want to go with fit in this position. Thankfully for the Utah Jazz, their biggest need, I think, is in the backcourt. And my next best player is a backcourt player, and it's Kaysen Wallace from Kentucky. I'm going to always put a little bit of faith in Kentucky guards to show us more than we saw in college. His defense is already strong. He's got decent size. I think there can be some shooting with him. He can fit in around Larry Markinen pretty comfortably. Walker Kessler's obviously there at center for this team. Um, guard is their biggest biggest need. I don't really believe in Colin Sexton at all. I don't really believe in O'Shea Abaji as a future star or anything like that. I'd be taking Kaysen. I view Kaysen ahead of Anthony Black. I just think that Kaysen's defense is on par. His shooting upside is higher. And that's the direction I'm going to go. And you'll see that I don't even have Anthony Black at the next pick. So in terms of what changed for me from last time, I had Hendricks at five last time, Asar at six, Whitmore at seven, and Jarris at eight. So I've moved Asar down. I've moved Hendricks down a little bit. And those guys have sort of changed position. I had Kaysen at nine still. Last time I had Anthony Black at number 10, I do not anymore. I'm just a little bit worried about that shooting, the shooting form, um, offensive hesitancy. I don't think there's any. I don't think there's the special upside that there is with the men that there is with Anthony Black. So I have dropped him down. And what I'm doing for Dallas, who yes, they could do with some guard help, but they could also do with some forward help and some defense and some size. So I'm going to just go balls out here. I'm taking Leonard Miller at number ten from the G League Ignite. The numbers aren't screaming great stuff, but again, playing in the G League against better competition. He improves significantly, finish at the rim really well. Usage was all right. There's plenty of room for him on this team. I think um, playing off of Luka, rebounding, some defense, some cutting. I think the shooting can develop a little bit more than this. 
Um, I'm, I'm really, he's rising up to me a little bit here, Miller. The size is intriguing. The, the strength, the getting to the rim is important. So I, I think that the fit there with him, I don't know what happens with Kyrie. Who knows? The one thing I know that is Luca will still be there if he wants to be there. Like they're not moving on from him. Luca is there. And I think Miller does make quite a bit of sense. I think the shooting is a work in progress, but it's, it can be good. I think it's got a higher chance of being good than say an Anthony Black, who's who I had at 10 last time. Now, we talk about the Magic having fit and looking more towards fit versus prospects because they've got Franz, they've got, they pick Suggs, I'm not sure where he fits into things. They've got Bunkero, they already picked pick six at 11. They can take, go with the shooter, yes? So you're thinking Grady Dick. Yeah, okay, I'm not. I don't think Dick that much um, in this area. I am going to take a guy that I haven't actually covered in the prospect scouting area yet in terms of on the show. I'm going to take Bryce Sensible. You could tell me that Grady Dick is the best passer in this class, Sorry, best shooter in this class? Fine. That's not guaranteed. I think there's a real chance that Bryce Sensible is the best shooter in this class. And I think he can do a little bit more. Now, he got by on really, really high usage at Ohio State. He's got good size. He can play the two or the three. But that shooting, the shot making, the offense focus, I think makes him a really interesting piece with Hendricks, with Bunkero in this area. We don't know who's going to end up being the better shooter out of all these guys. But I think... Sensible has a little bit more to his game than what Dick does. And I just think he's got this opportunity to be a really, not necessarily a special player, but I am I'm more sold on him now than, than a Dick or a Hawkins in this area. And Orlando can really try and dig down on the sort of player they need. And I think Bryce makes sense there. At pick 12, the Oklahoma, Oklahoma City Thunder. Last time out, I had um, last time I had Keontae George at eleven for the Magic, and I had GG Jackson to the Thunder. I've changed it up here, and I'm taking Derek Lively at pick twelve. Raf Barlow, pretty big on his ability to improve his shot. Can he fit next to Chet? I do think so. Um, they, they haven't prioritized centers in the past. We know that they don't necessarily think they need that player. So maybe they probably don't go that direction to take Derek Lively here. There are other players they could take, and I think they might end up taking someone like a Bilal Kulabali. They might might have taken Anthony Black, although I think having Anthony Black and Josh Giddy together is a little bit of a concern. So that's why I didn't do it. Um, but I think Lively's ability to be defensive, to block some shots, to pair with Chet at times, to back Chet up, to help Chet manage minutes and games, I think they can work together. I'm not... I'm not 100... I think Chet probably is a center, but I do think these two can work together, much like the way that we've seen some success with Mobley and Allen, although Chet and maybe Lively are better shooters than both Mobley and Allen. I think that's possible. Lively, I don't know. But there is some encouraging signs with his shooting. And I just think he's defensive. And by the way, fantasy drafts, Lively is the guy that's going to go way higher than his actual real-life draft position. It's going to jump way up. Him and uh, Pajemski, I think, are going to be the two of the guys that you draft higher than their actual real-life draft position. But I'm taking. I'm a little bit more convinced on Lively here, so I'm going to take him at number 12. You might be wondering where Anthony Black is. Well, here he is. Number 13 to the Raptors. They're in flux. This is a Masai Ujiri type of guy, but it doesn't mean that's why I'm taking him. I don't know where Van Vliet sits or where Trent sits. But I think getting to this stage where we've got some uncertainty about what direction they're going... I just think that he is that next best player on this list that makes sense for me to grab in this area. I, I probably could have done it with the Thunder because I think overall as a prospect, he probably is a little bit higher than Lively. But again, with Shea, with Giddy, I don't really know. That doesn't make a lot of sense with Black and that's where fit trumps that difference. 
If it had been another team at 12, I probably would have gone with Black over Lively, but I'll take him here. Just get that size in there, the defensive ability. Maybe he can work on that shot. I don't know, but some passing acumen as well. I just think he makes a little bit of sense. The fit issue with Scotty Barnes is a worry. I'm not denying that. But this team is so sort of weird in their construction that I'm just going to take the guy that I think is significantly highly, significantly better than the other players that are coming after him. At number 14, last time I had Grady Dick here going to the Pelicans. I do not now, and I've jumped this guy up from 18 to 14. Kobe Bufkin. So many draft analysts who've come on this show have told me that they're so high on Kobe Bufkin. And I wasn't convinced, and I've done more work on it, and I'm starting to get interested more in what Bufkin can bring. The shooting, the driving, the fact that he's a guard makes sense on this Pelicans team. CJ McCollum is not going to be a starter forever. And when you play with Zion and with Ingram, the fact that you can be a guard who's a combo guard who can run offense at times, but also they can sit back and do other stuff is really useful because you don't need to run the offense the entire time. Some shooting ability, some getting to the rim ability, good free throw, good efficiency, can work in a lower usage role. Um, I think can defend okay. Just makes a little bit of sense to me. And again, I have him just in this tier and I just think he's a slightly better prospect than the guy I've got number 15. And that is Grady Dick. And I'm not sure I'm even going to keep Dick at 15 because there's a couple of guys sitting behind him here in this mock draft that I think are going to jump ahead. You haven't heard it yet, I don't think. I don't think my Dick show is out yet. Diggity. Um, But... Me and Leif Tolina are just down on Grady. I, I just not sure what he brings outside of shooting. I mean, there might be some passing there, but defense is a worry. I just think that he might be just a one-skill specialist player when there are other guys on the board who can bring a little bit more. And I don't ever see Dick rising to the level of some of these other players um, in this spot. So I've got him at 15 to the Hawks. They obviously needed shooting after losing Kevin Herter and getting shooting in and Quinn Snyder, big fan of shooting on a team. So I did go with him here, had him in a tier with other guys, but I'm not super convinced on this. In fact, the guy that I've got at pick number 16, I wouldn't be shocked if he goes ahead of him or ends up being a better player, and that's Bilal Koulibaly, who turned in another huge performance in a recent Metropolitan's playoff game. He's moved up from their junior team at the start of the year to putting in big performances in the senior team in the playoffs. He's super long. He's tall. There's word that he's already been promised a lottery selection, maybe even top 10. The shooting still is a marginal concern, but he can pass, he can defend, he can finish, he can get to the rim. There is some shooting upside. He's one of those guys that might turn into nothing and just sort of not flake away, but just be sort of an invisible NBA player. But there's so much talent here with him. There's so much upside. And the rate of improvement has been rapid even over the course of this season that Utah's got Lowry, obviously. Um, But playing Lowry at the four, Kessler at the five, Koulibaly at the three, it makes tons of sense. Defensively, can make up for some mistakes of other players, but can handle the ball. It, it makes sense in terms of fit. I can see him rising even further than this. This next player is also someone who has jumped up in my rankings. And I, I said this at the time. I said, when I go through this draft, the guy that I think I'm probably going to end up jumping up high is Jalen hood Shafino from Indiana. I've got him at 17 to the Lakers. Big point guard, 19 years of age. A little bit older than some of the other 19-year-olds. But the shooting numbers are, are bad. Some of that is Indiana scheme stuff, playing under Mike Woodson um, and with Trace Jackson Davis just dominating the entire offense there. But the size, some defensive ability, um, shooting, I think, can improve. The free throws are okay, so there's a little bit there for Hood Shafino. The Lakers don't know what they're going to do with D'Angelo Russell. Again, but you don't necessarily draft for fit, but getting a ball handler who can be tall, well, can be tall, is tall, 
is useful with shooting upside. Like this could be the tenth best player in this draft really easily. Hood Shafino and I wouldn't like Jonathan Jonathan Gavoni, as I said earlier, had him at nine going to the Jazz. You could easily see it. There is a ton of upside with him. There's a ton of measurables and things that NBA teams look for that make quite a bit of sense. So I have bumped him way up from where I had him at 25 last time. I've moved him up to number 17 in this mock draft. The next guy I've moved down, and that's Gregory Jackson, GG Jackson. Moved him down. I had him at 12 to the Thunder. Moved him down to 18 to the Heat. Now, is he a Heat culture player? No, because the Heat culture means get your ass into shape, work hard, you know, and, and you will get, get somewhere. So that's true, right? But Gigi's 18. He's the second youngest player in this draft. Oh no, he's the youngest player in this draft. He probably could have gone back to school and been a top five pick next year. And that sort of talent, the Heat will look at it and they'll go, all right. The thing that we look at with, with Gigi is um, conditioning, which was a big problem through the combine slash pro day. Um, some attitude stuff, right? And the Heat will go, well, if there's any team that can, if I, and I am drafting for the Heat, if there's any team that can fix that stuff, it's them. And if they do, then maybe that is a top 10 player in this class. Like you have the infrastructure to take a flyer on a guy like Jackson, who's got the size, who's got aggression, who can you know, do some offensive things when this team sometimes lacks that offensive punch. And you've got the safety net of who the organization is to being able to see if you can get that out of him. Now it might not work, and you might, and then, and if it doesn't work, then GG's in real trouble because other teams are going to go. Well, if Miami couldn't get this guy to focus and get in shape, then who who can? Right, so that's going to be uh, a bit of an issue for him, but maybe it makes him buckle down and put up some some better performances and, and more commitment. So I get it; it's a risk, and there'll be plenty of Heat people watching this because no way he doesn't fit into our culture. We wouldn't take him, but that, that's exactly why I am taking him. Is like you bet on you being able to turn those negatives around for GG. With with your team infrastructure, so that's why I'll take him there at pick eighteen. You'll notice that I had Keontae George, or maybe you didn't. You had, I had him at eleven last time. I've dropped him way down. There is going to be, and I talked about this with someone the other day as well. There's so many stuff. It's so much stuff is blurring together. When I said there's always someone to me that I'm down on because of this high volume weird situation where I'm not convinced on the efficiency, and I don't think they're ever going to have that role in the NBA, um, and they don't work out. And that was the last two years: James Booknight and Johnny Davis. So I'm going pretty well with those ones. And I said, there's probably someone in this draft class who is that player. And while I'm definitely not as convinced as I was with Davis or Booknight, I think it's Keontae George, who had some really poor shot selection issues. Big usage at Baylor. Only shot 38% overall. Not sure he's a good passer. There were some back issues for him. He's got the combo guard size, but I'm not sure he's good enough to play the one consistently. That's why I've dropped him down. But I think getting some youth into Golden State with a little bit of shock creation coming off that bench. And Moses Moody was there for, we still there and showed a little bit in the playoffs. I just think getting, getting him in there, working on it for a year or two to see where he goes. Yes, there've been concerns with Kaminga and Wiseman and Moody and how they have developed and how they've been used, but new GM is going to be in place. And also getting to the stage where I'm just not going to let him slide any further. So let's just take who I think is one of the better options there. And he could have made sense in Miami as well. But I went with him at uh, 19 to Golden State. At number 20, it is Derek Whitehead. I had him at 16 last time. So I've dropped him down a little bit going to the Houston Rockets because uh, of this foot surgery. But the shooting is legitimate. The Rockets can afford to be a little bit... Not, 
not that they can afford to be patient, but they've got a lot of guys in that position. They might be bringing other guys in. And if Whitehead actually recovers and hits, then it's, it's just a massively valuable player. A 40% three-point shooter with size on the wing who can be a usage guy to, to jump up, can run a second unit a little bit. Young. You got that time to let him sort of sit there. Got Ima Yudoka to try and instill some defensive um, principles into his game as well. And it just gets to a stage where, again, there is just upside value in Derek Whitehead that I'm not going to let slide. And it's the same thing that goes for pick 21 here. And I'm taking Nick Smith Jr. Now, last time I had Smith at 17, I've dropped him down a little bit. There were some injury concerns for him at Arkansas, but overall, he just didn't look particularly good most of the time. And... The shot creation is interesting. The shooting is bad. But I think on this Brooklyn team, who doesn't have a star, Mikhail Bridges is not a number one player. And I don't even know if Mikhail Bridges is going to be on this team. They might be the proud owners of pick number three come the draft. But I think taking a flyer on a Nick Smith at this point is just someone who's got a little bit of number one creation upside. And I think that team really needs that. And again, it's just about tears and letting guys fall. And I think... I think Smith would be my guy here. Now, I could very easily see a scenario where the guy that I've got at 22 also going to Brooklyn is the better player, and that's Noah Clowney, who um, I'm back on board. I'm back on. Defense, I think really good. I think he's probably going to be a center, which makes it a little bit iffy with Claxton, but there's been a little bit of rumbling, a little bit of rumbling that the Nets are making moves that Claxton just might be on the way out. That's not to say that he's not good, and I haven't heard this directly from anyone with the source, but there's just been a few times I hear... Claxton's name brought up. Well, actually, I have heard it. No, I have heard that his name is brought up in deals. That is he a guy, and my number one thing always, well, number one thing, I have lots of number one things. One of my things is when talking about these players and you look at him and go, are you set? Is he the guy that you go, yep, we are set with Nick Claxton. And while he was very good and very, very strong defensively, I don't know that you're set. And if it requires trading him away, in a package to get pick number three and somebody else back, Simons, then I think you go, okay, we rebuild and we do it. Clowney can play next to Claxton, I think. So there's value in that, but he's got good defense on the perimeter, at the rim, some shooting upside. Um, he's young. He's really young. He's got great size. I'm back in on Noah Clowney. He wasn't in my top, uh, my first round last time, and he is now. I pick 23, it's Portland. I'm going to go with Sidney Sissoko from the G League Ignite, 19-year-old wing, probably about 6'7". Got him listed at 6'5 there, but I think that number is incorrect. He's got playmaking ability on the wing. They were running out Nasir Little, Cam Reddish, and a bunch of other Jonathan Williamses towards the end of the season at the three. Not that Sissoko would jump in and be a starter immediately, but he's got the size. He would fit next to whatever they're doing with Dame or, or whatever. Not going, again, Portland might be in a different spot, and they might be having Mikael Bridges play the three for them. I don't know or Jalen Brown, or whatever they're looking to do, right? So Sissoko's got ability to play in a small usage role, which he did for the Ignite. He ramped it up at times when necessary. He can defend, he can pass. He's just, I think, a strong rotation player with starters upside. At pick number 24 to the Sacramento Kings, last time I had Keegan Murray's brother, Chris Murray, going here. This time I don't. I have Jordan Hawkins, who has fallen. He'll probably go in the lottery I don't really buy that. The shooting is really strong. It, it is It is really strong. There's no doubt about that. But I need you to do something different. Can you defend? Can you pass? Can you initiate? Can you drive? Can you be a number one guy? Are you a specialist shooter? And I think Hawkins fits a little bit into the specialist shooter mold. In, he's That's really valuable. 
and they've got some shooters, but part of the reason Sacramento has been successful is by having shooters. All right, so getting enough around Fox and Sabonis, I think is important. Now, we saw some issues with Kevin Herter through the playoffs in terms of getting played off the court. Malik Monk, you can rely on him, I don't know. But just getting an extra name into that mix who can play at the two, play at the three, just getting extra shooters and having someone who can shoot really at all, all times on the, on the court here. And again, do you want to let him slide too much further than this? I think makes sense for them. At 25, Brandon Pajemski from Santa Clara. 6'5", 20-year-old wing. Could be a first-round guy, could be a second-round player. Statistics are unbelievable. 44% shooting. Good, great steal rate, great rebound rate, great three-point volume, strong usage, strong scoring, massive rebound numbers, good free throw shooter. Everything from this guy in a statistical perspective is amazing. Memphis in the past has gone with these sort of guys a lot. I like Pajemski, looking into him more. Um, they're probably going to lose Dylan Brooks, but just getting someone in there to play on the wing, not probably, they are losing Dylan Brooks. Not that Pajemski can defend at that, that level. Also, he he believes he's a point guard. So not that he'd be starting with the Jamarant situation. I don't know. But getting an extra ball handler in there to take some pressure off Bain and Jones or whatever else they do. But also just being able to grow into a player that can play alongside a Jamarant and can play alongside Jaron Jackson. And it's got an ability to to really start to grow his game, which we saw last season. So I'm taking Pajemski at 25 for Memphis. 26 is the Pacers. Rayan Rupert. From the NBL, French player, wing, about to turn 19. He's 6'6". Um, some shooting concerns, for sure, but held up, I think, in the NBL for the NBL winners, the New Zealand Breakers. Can defend on the wing, a little bit of passing upside. I think the shot is going to improve from here, but I just think that wings are important. The paces have none. So getting wings and forwards is always a useful thing. He doesn't project as a starter necessarily anytime soon, but I think there's top 15 upside in him, as there is for a lot of players in this class. Pick 27. Jet Howard. Now, I just spoke with Albert Gim of No Ceilings. The show is coming out in a few days' time, but he is wildly high on Jet Howard. So it made me go, am I just, am I way off on Jet? He is massively in. Now, I actually dropped Jet down from where I had him last time. I had him 26. I moved him to 27 this time. Um, but I'm just, the lack of rebounding, the lack of defense, the what else do you do apart from shooting? Is, is a worry, but he's big, he's young, he can shoot. Um, Albert thinks that there's some passing creation upside. He thinks he can develop into a number one offensive option. I don't see it, but I've got to respect Albert's opinion on that. So that that makes it interesting. Still, I've got him 27, but I'm going to really reevaluate how I'm viewing um, Jet as we move forward. But he goes at 27 there to the Hornets. My third and final new player in the first round. My other one, my two new guys were Clowney and Pajemski. This one is the Utah Jazz at number 28. I just realized I haven't changed the team logo in the bottom, so that's an L from me. Maybe I'll go do it now. There we go, much better. Number 28 to the Utah Jazz is Tristan Vukcevic from Partizan. Unbelievably electric shooting performances through the NBA combine. It appears that he will stay in the draft. I don't know that because the international deadline hasn't come through yet. But lethal shooter at 6'10" playing, yeah, could he fill the Kelly Olynyk role? Playing next to Larry Markin and again, big opportunities is getting some shooting in there because you know that your center can't shoot yet, maybe he can moving forward. But Vukcevic has um impressed, he stepped up, his size is great. That I, I think yeah, that draft range I've got there, that's based on mock drafts. I'm going to go and update those, but I I think he's moved into a first round area to me, and that's why I've got him here at pick number 28, Tristan Vukcevic. 
29. This is the same as I had last mock draft. Bobby Clintman going to the Indiana Pacers. The numbers for him through college aren't impressive, but look at what he did for Sweden in the world under 22s, where he was able to put up amazing numbers. He can handle the ball. He can defend. Maybe he can shoot. I think we, we think he can. He's got athleticism. He's got flexibility. He's got agility. It's all projecting here, much like the way Denver took uh, Peyton Watson at this spot last season, around this spot. Clintman just adds to their forward depth they sorely need. And yeah, because I don't think Jalen Smith's the answer or Aaron Neesmith's the answer. So just getting an extra forward in there makes sense there. And the last pick in the first round is Chris Murray for the LA Clippers. Murray is useful. Murray is useful. I don't think there's any star upside in Chris Murray. There might not be star upside in some of these other players that I've picked. You know, is Rupert got a star upside? Is Jed Howard? I'm not sure. But Murray is an older player who is not as good as Keegan, who can shoot a little bit, but 34% only. 57 true shooting. The, the scoring numbers are okay. The steals and block numbers are fine, but Keegan's are also through the roof at Iowa and they didn't really translate across. Um, he's serviceable. He's a solid rotation player who might even end up being a starter. Uh, Chris Murray, but I just don't really buy the upside there. I don't look at one pure skill that he's got that he's going to hang his hat on or even you know, do a couple of things. Like he just can be good, which is fine for the Clippers. Um, who knows where they go with so many of their players being old. This is one they probably wouldn't play much initially, but being able to step in in two to three years into a rotation role when Batum or Morris are gone, or even if they're gone this year, who knows? Um, I just didn't want to let him fall outside the first round, so I sort of went with him in that area. Now, the guys that were in my first round last time who aren't anymore, I had Maxwell Lewis at 23. I've dropped him down. I had James Najee at 28. I've dropped him down, obviously. And I had Terquavion Smith at 30, and I have dropped him down as well. So to go through it, number one, Wembenyama. Scoot at two. Amen at three. Brandon Miller at four. Whitmore at five. Taylor Hendricks at six. Jarris Walker, seven. Asar Thompson, eight. Kaysen Wallace, 9. Leonard Miller, 10. Sensibor, 11. Derek Lively, 12. Anthony Black, 13. Bufkin, 14. Dick, 15. Kalabali, Kulabali, sorry, 16. Hood Shafino, 17. Gigi Jackson, 18. Keontae George, 19. Uh, Derek Whitehead, 20. Nick Smith, 21. Noah Clowney, 22. Sissoko, 23. Jordan Hawkins, 24. Podjemski, 25. Rupert, 26. Jed Howard, 27. Vukcevic, 28. Clintman, 29. And Chris Murray, at number 30. Just outside for me was Lewis, um, Naji, Omax Prosper, Colby Jones, uh, uh, and Terquavion. They were the next guys out of the first round for me. So let me know, what did you think of this mock draft? Which, uh, which ones show that I'm a dumbass? Which ones show that I'm a genius? More to the genius side, if possible. And follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on Odyssey and on YouTube. Thumb it up. Leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.